Arabica is only about 3% of total production here, but you know, that 3% is still a whole lot of coffee. That's more than Kenya and El Salvador. You know, we talk about competition between Starbucks and other cafes in the United States. But in Vietnam, it's another level. It's not just a Starbucks on every corner. It's multiple local cafes and the ability to order a street side cafe in between those cafes that I think makes it really hard. I've had so many roasters who are like, I want to go on a sourcing trip to source fine robust in Vietnam. Like, can you help me? Like, how do I engage? How do I do this, right? Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. Back in 1982, Vietnam was virtually unknown in the world of coffee. But by the early 2000s, the country quickly became the world's second largest coffee-producing country, focusing on commodity-grade Robusta, a high-yielding, hardy coffee species that often ends up in instant coffee. Fast forward another 20 years and Vietnam is now the epicenter of a booming coffee drinking movement. Allegra World Coffee Portal Research estimates there are over 4,000 branded coffee shops in Vietnam and the market has attracted serious interest from many international chains, including Starbucks, which now operates over 80 stores domestically. So today we're speaking with some leading experts to understand what's happening in Vietnam's coffee scene and where is it heading next. We will speak with academic Sarah Grant and also US-based roaster, importer, and robusta evangelist Sara Nguyen. And we start with Will Frith, a Vietnam-based coffee educator and consultant who moved from America's west coast to Ho Chi Minh City to found a specialty coffee roasting business aptly named Building Coffee. Will, thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Pleasure to be here. Tell me a little bit about Building Coffee. What is it? Building Coffee is my roasting company. It started out as a co-roasting space. I had identified the need in this market a couple of years ago for just accessible roasting and education. So I built a place. We had five roasting machines. We had plenty of clients. About a couple of dozen companies had kind of gotten their start there and popped out and built their own facilities. And... Um, we had reached a time at the pandemic where, you know, we weren't allowed to have anybody in our space. So we had to start selling roasted coffee. So we decided to just go full tilt that direction. And we've gone full on into a roasting company. And we do a little bit of retail and a whole lot of wholesale. And I've copy pasted that American style wholesale specialty roaster sort of model mm. into this market, um, which didn't really exist in the same ways that mm. uh, we might know it in the West. So like the stump town of, of Vietnam? <laughs> oh, I could dream, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, so have you seen much change in the coffee industry in Vietnam over that time? Um, heaps. The industry has continued to just kind of do what it does. It's a very successful commercial commodity coffee producer. And so the infrastructure is already in place. And nowadays, it's pretty easy to find a very nicely roasted, well-sourced coffee in 
just about every district of Ho Chi Minh City and nearly any city of note in Vietnam would have a specialty coffee roaster doing some good work. And what about the big end of town? Is there also a sort of a mass market coffee shop market emerging as well alongside the specialty sector? You know, that was already a bit underway when I arrived. There were several international brands here. Starbucks had just started building their flagship store in Ho Chi Minh City when I arrived. And uh, I was around for the launch and it, it, there was a line wrapping around the block. Vietnam has a very passionate and pretty long time coffee obsession, really, um, mostly based on Robusta and kind of traditional style coffee. And so you couldn't really throw a handful of rocks anywhere in the city without hitting a couple of cafes. Mm. Um, so it was already deeply entrenched mm. as a coffee culture. It was just about diversifying and introducing new types of coffee into the mix. And these big chains were doing a really good job at raising the awareness. Uh, Starbucks in particular, because they, have, they carry such a big name, um, people were just eager to get in there to just see what all the fuss was about. Um, Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf were already doing their thing. And Gloria Jeans, yep. had their first attempt in Vietnam happened a couple of years before I had arrived at that time. And um, a couple of years later, they had folded. I think that was about 2014. They decided it wasn't working out and they left Vietnam. And they've recently came back uh, to a much stronger market. And so there are probably a good dozen international brands doing their thing here. And so moving back to the sort of specialty coffee scene, do you see that sort of a growing thirst from Vietnamese consumers for higher quality specialty coffee? Yeah, it's a little bit of a mix. Uh, on the younger side of the spectrum, I'd say that there's a more sincere interest in the product and the quality itself. And then with the older consumers who are getting into it, it begins usually as just kind of novelty seeking. The middle class here is just booming. And so people are seeking out new novel experiences, luxury things. And so in Asia specifically, specialty coffee has kind of gotten wrapped up in this sort of luxury lifestyle narrative. And so that just comes along with expensive watches and luxury cars and things like that. They go to fancy coffee shops and have expensive coffee. Are you seeing any further momentum in Arabica coffee in Vietnam? I do see the market starting to segment a bit. There's a pretty popular, well-loved, homegrown brand here called Love Viet. And they are 100% Arabica, all Vietnamese grown. And they're really starting to grow in a pretty quick way for an independently owned chain. I think they have something a little more than a dozen locations throughout the country. Yeah. And they, they just keep opening cafes. And it just doesn't seem like there's an end to that potential for them. And I'm noticing a lot more people using the word Arabica to differentiate themselves. And, you know, it's not an insignificant amount. If you just look at percentages, Arabica is only about 3% of total production here. But, you know, that 3% is still a whole lot of coffee. That's more than Kenya and El Salvador. 
And so that's about, I think, 1 million or so 60 kilogram bags every year. And the government has kind of put a cap on the total land area that's allowed to be cleared for coffee plantations. And so I think what we're going to start seeing for people who want to expand is a little bit more stuff involving Arabica and agroforestry, which is such a good direction to go. And um, Robusta tends to do better in full sun plantations. So I see that as being like sort of at its peak now. And uh, it's probably not going to grow significantly in the future. So Arabica would kind of be the direction of growth, but that's still just 3%. Some predictions for the future of the Vietnamese coffee market, the internal Vietnamese coffee market. What, what do you think we're going to see more of? I think we're going to see way more diversification. Uh, right now, there's a lot of kind of copy-paste culture going on. If somebody sees something succeeding, they're going to build one themselves and try to succeed in the same ways. But as people get a little bit fatigued on that narrative, they're going to start, you know, bringing their own voice into it. And we're going to continue to see more and more unique permutations of specialty coffee, traditional coffee, commercial Arabica, and fine Robusta. And that I think is the most exciting part is people adopting the specialty coffee Arabica ethos and applying it towards Robusta production. And, you know, I myself have tasted quite a few impressive Robustas. They definitely do show some potential. And we're just going to have to kind of concede that it's different things for different people. And uh, the diversification of the coffee market here is just going to continue to boom. Fantastic. Well, um, thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Will presents a very exciting and intensely competitive domestic coffee landscape and a market that is rapidly diversifying. More international chains are setting up shop in Vietnam. Interest in fine robusta coffee is growing. Specialty coffee is ever more popular. And all the while, traditional Vietnamese coffee continues to be drunk everywhere. Let's now investigate the highly commercial Robusta coffee sector in our conversation with researcher Sarah Grant, Associate Professor of Cultural Anthropology at California State University, Fullerton. For context, Vietnam's impressive rise within the global coffee market was a result of deliberate government policy from the 1980s onwards, where families were incentivized to relocate and grow Robusta coffee on small plots of land in Vietnam's central highland regions. Let's learn more from Sarah. Welcome to Fifth Wave, Sarah. So I wonder if you'd give us some background on your own academic career and why you're here talking to us about the Vietnamese coffee industry. I've been thinking about Vietnamese coffee since 2006. At the time, I was finishing a master's program and trying to figure out if I was going to go the PhD academic route or maybe work in nonprofit industries in Southeast Asia. And I heard an anecdote about Vietnamese coffee, specifically that it was the worst coffee in the world. And this was coming from someone in the industry, and it really piqued my interest about Vietnamese coffee. I'd never heard of Vietnamese coffee. I'd never seen it branded in the United States. And it all took off from there. I decided to uh, pass on the nonprofit and went into academia and pursued a PhD in cultural anthropology with a focus on 
really the rise of Vietnamese coffee and the structure of the industry today. And so this goes well beyond the farmers. This is also a story about state policies, mm -hmm. what the larger global market coupled with coffee consumption culture means for agricultural production and how this translates to landscapes that are really environmentally decimated and the relative poverty that exists alongside economic prosperity and agricultural development in places like Vietnam. Could you give me a little bit of the history of coffee in Vietnam? You know, the colonial history of coffee through 1945 and coffee production in the Republic of Vietnam during the Vietnam War era, 1955 to 75, is really minuscule. And so it's that contemporary industry in the 1980s to today that I think really represents what we mean when we say Vietnamese coffee. Now, sketching a picture of Vietnamese coffee today requires you to think about that transition period and what it means to shift from really small-scale production to large swaths of land that are being turned into a monocrop, essentially. When you're deforesting land to turn it into something that um, has value. So can you paint me a picture of who is growing coffee in Vietnam? There are definitely tens of thousands of small farmers. Those are small family farms, right? The average farm size was one and a half hectares. And so the number of farmers is actually astronomical compared to other coffee-producing countries. And the amount of coffee-growing land is really quite small. And so you have this mix of lots of farmers who are not traditionally coffee farmers, right? That's another important piece of the equation because the industry is so new. We're not talking about multi-generational coffee farmers. We're talking about people who maybe moved to the Central Highlands in the 1990s who got an agricultural loan and decided to try coffee because it seemed like a booming industry and there were interesting incentives to try it. And what are the long-term prospects for growing commodity coffee in the Central Highlands region? As it stands, you know, coffee is not going to be around forever, especially in this region, and it's increasingly precarious. Every rainy season, every dry season, there's a new issue that farmers are facing, but they're not seeing the sorts of support to weather those issues that I think they really need. So what are those acute issues? Climate change is always a factor, and that's something that I've seen repeatedly going back and forth to Vietnam since 2006, they always, always talk about shifting weather and how surprising it is that the dry season is just a little bit drier and a little bit longer. The rainy season is just a little bit wetter, a little bit longer and unpredictable, right? When rain comes and you're supposed to have 10 uninterrupted days of sun to dry your coffee on a tarp in front of your farm and suddenly there's a torrential downpour, that's something that will affect an individual family's livelihood immediately. If there was an infrastructure For example, a warehouse with drying beds, that would go a really long way for small farmers. But if you're talking about a one and a half hectare farm and a small family that's all laboring together to do this, no one can afford that, right? So I think 
the impact of climate change has been felt across the industry. Wow. So that's quite worrying. So there is a genuine risk that Vietnamese coffee may be not around in the future. I think all coffee could potentially not be around in the future, Mm, which is alarming. But I think in Vietnam, where you do have this relatively low, dry, drought-stricken area, irrigation is a, a major concern and a major cost. I wonder if we could move on to the relationship with coffee and the local market. Have you got any views that indicates that the local market itself is becoming more coffee-inspired. I do think that this is the most exciting part of the Vietnamese coffee industry, and that's the very grassroots organic growth of a local industry that is thriving. I think more and more young adults in Vietnam were interested in coffee culture. Uh, Vietnam now has barista competitions. Vietnam certainly has folks who are opening up shops and selling coffee, both Vietnamese and imported coffee that's brewed to specialty specification, that's locally roasted, that's really thought about in ways that I think kind of characterize and, and typify the specialty industry. So there seems to be a thriving new energy in the specialty coffee market in Vietnam. What about the influence of the big chain into the market? Do you see any impact there? For a moment, there was a very palpable impact, the rise of Chung Nguyen, not just as a a brand of coffee that certainly even in the the late 90s, um, early 2000s, people were buying Chung Nguyen as kind of a status symbol, as a gift and for those who don't know, Truong Nguyen is a household name and the most popular brand of Vietnamese roasted coffee. So the moment of, of Truong Nguyen coffee, I think, has passed to some degree. Other large uh, cafe brands, Highlands Coffee was a big one. They're just being overtaken by locally owned and operated cafe spaces that are just as expensive, but have a little more flair and a little more local feel to them. And there's a neighborhood in in Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City, District 3, that I will always remember as a place where I realized that middle class and upper middle class Vietnamese consumers are going to spend a lot of money on coffee. There's just streets and streets and alleyways full of really high end, beautiful cafes that are all different as opposed to those national chains that just haven't caught up with the Vietnamese consumer who has disposable income and Companies like Starbucks just haven't done that well in Vietnam for a variety of reasons. And I think part of it is that intense competition. You know, we talk about competition between Starbucks and other cafes in the United States. But in Vietnam, it's another level. It's not just a Starbucks on every corner. It's multiple local cafes and the ability to order a street side cafe in between those cafes that I think makes it really hard for a company that's, that's selling coffee at Western prices to really thrive there. Thanks so much, Sarah, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Sure, absolutely. Thanks. Happy to be here. Sarah echoes Will's observation that the local specialty scene is growing rapidly. 
However, there are clear warning signs ahead. Climate change is affecting the viability of coffee farming for many of Vietnam's small family farmers. And in the worst case scenario, due to difficult economics, Vietnam's commercial grade robusta industry could decline as quickly as it boomed. For many years, Vietnam's robusta coffee was dismissed by many coffee professionals around the world. But the careful cultivation of high quality robusta is now resulting in markedly better cup profiles and offering Vietnam an exciting new export opportunity. To explore this new market opportunity, we speak with Sara Nguyen, founder and CEO of Nguyen Coffee Supply. A former writer, filmmaker, director and journalist, Sara is a first-generation Vietnamese-American and today imports and roasts specialty Vietnamese Robusta coffee. Nguyen Coffee Supply sells to the Horeca market, retails through Whole Foods, and has recently launched 100% Robusta, ready-to-drink cold brew products to the U.S. market. Welcome, Sara, to Fifth Wave. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Tell us about your business and why you founded it. So around 2016, when I was full-time freelancing, I spent a lot of time in coffee shops and I noticed that Vietnamese iced coffee was becoming super trendy and it was showing up on a lot of these like specialty coffee shops. But Jeff, every time I tried the Vietnamese iced coffee in the menus, it was not Vietnamese coffee because it didn't taste like it. It was a little bit more acidic, a little bit more sour forward, fruit forward. And I'd ask the barista what was in their Vietnamese iced coffee and they would say it's like their house... Ethiopian or their house, Colombian, Arabica, whatever they had, you know, in their shop and they added sweet condensed milk. And so that was kind of like the very early light bulbs for me while I was like, oh, well, there's like this interest in like this cultural exchange, but it just wasn't really being done appropriately. And so that set me out on like this little Googling journey where I was like, why aren't they just using Vietnamese coffee beans? And I realized I couldn't find a single origin, fresh roasted, craft roasted Vietnamese coffee bean anywhere. It just didn't exist. And so that's when I started kind of looking into what would it look like to start importing and roasting Vietnamese coffee beans. What are the common misconceptions about Vietnamese coffee and Robusta in general in Western markets? I'd say some of the biggest misconceptions about Vietnamese coffee, Robusta coffee in Western markets is that it's cheap, it's inferior, it's gross. And these are all words that are well-documented over the internet. In my early research, I was really just flabbergasted at how much disdain there was for the variety of Robusta and Vietnam as an origin. And for me, I'm just like, you know, at some point, all the coffee in the world, including Arabica beans, were low quality. Today, we only have specialty coffee, premium coffee, elevated Arabica varieties because of an intentional collective investment from people to say, oh, let's try to make this crop better. Let's try to make this variety better by you know, using organic practices, by handpicking only when it's ripe, by experimenting with various processing methods, right? It was an intentional investment. So it was really odd to me that the internet and misconceptions in the industry were boxing Robusta and Arabica in these very dichotomous roles of like, Arabica is superior and Robusta is inferior when ultimately it doesn't come down to the variety. It comes down to the production and the care that's given to the crop. For us, it's about like, let's just carve space for us to be inclusive of Robusta as a variety. And like when we engage with Robusta in a similar way that we've engaged with Arabica over the last couple of decades, like how can that not just create a more 
expansive and inclusive and interesting coffee experience for consumers, but also how can that actually help robust producers all around the world with the opportunity to elevate their products and elevate their livelihoods. Hmm. So how much progress have you made in terms of educating coffee consumers all over America with this passion of yours? So at top of 2022 last year, in January, I remember WGSN, which is a major food and beverage trends platform. And then along with the New York Times, top of January last year, they announced that 2022 would be the year Robusta rising. And all these media platforms are now predicting that Robusta will be rising in dominance in the coming years due to a lot of things that we've been promoting for the last four years around Robusta being a resilient crop, around the need to expand our conversation around coffee, right? And so we're seeing this transformation happen now. And I don't know if you noticed or if you saw, but just two days ago, Blue Bottle Coffee released their very first Vietnamese Robusta blend. Oh, fantastic. I know. It's fantastic, Jeff. And I was like, yes, this is the change, the industry-wide change that we love to see. Because the more people from new roasters to OGs, like coffee giants in the industry, the more people who are engaging with this conversation of like, how can we reimagine Robusta? How can we challenge all of our preconceived notions around Robusta to innovate and elevate this community? the massive ripple effect it'll have on the global community, right? Mm. So for example, what that means is like, I've had so many roasters who are like, I want to go on a sourcing trip to source fine robust in Vietnam. Like, can you help me? Like, how do I engage? How do I do this? Right. And someone like a blue bottle, not to give them too much credit. Right. But like, Blue Bottle, they have their massive company, you know, they're acquired by Nestle and they have a lot of buying power. So when there are more companies like Blue Bottle or even emerging companies going to Vietnam or going to Uganda or going to the Congo and saying like, hey, we're looking for a fine robusta. Do you have it? That then creates opportunity for people on the ground to be like, oh, the market is finally open and ready for us to produce better Robusta now. Now we can produce a better Robusta rather than being forced to produce a cheap Robusta for the instant coffee market, right? So this is an incredible mm. moment in history and in time and in the industry. We are truly seeing the rise of Robusta and we are truly seeing the industry now not just oscillate from Arabica to Robusta, but to expand the possibilities of coffee. Do you interact much with people on the ground in Vietnam? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. We have a direct trade relationship with our producers in Vietnam. Um, I was really mm -hmm. forced to or I was compelled to create our own supply chain because back in 2016, when I started thinking like, oh, well, let me just buy some green beans from like some of these major importers. And I'll just start roasting in Brooklyn, right? Because there are um, several co-roasting facilities. But what I found was I'd go to these green bean buyers and none of them had single origin Robusta or single origin Arabica. So I was like, oh, it like these importers aren't even looking towards Vietnam as a specialty region, right? So because I couldn't find green beans from these importers, I had to go to Vietnam, find my own relationships, establish a direct trade relationship, and then started importing. And that's how we were able to start importing and roasting. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's clear to me there's a market demand for specialty-grade Vietnamese Robusta across the vast U.S. market, and some smart operators are using it as a way to differentiate themselves in a highly competitive market. Reflecting on everything we've heard today, the Vietnamese coffee market is clearly evolving away from its origins as a low-value Robusta producer. 
We're still in the very early days of this transition, so now is the time to embrace the opportunity that Vietnam offers. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to The Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. And if you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter, collecting all the big news stories of the week. Link in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project is Hurry Slow by Olivia Junholm. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. Oh, 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 control.